All right, welcome back to the Face Off Spot. This is your host, Adam Larson, and I'd like to thank you guys for tuning into uh, another episode. I always appreciate it when you guys tune in. And uh, today we have a, a very, very special episode. I know I say they're all special, but they're all special in their own various reasons. But the reasons why it's special today is because we have a head coach of an AHL team. In here today, we have the head coach of the Hershey Bears of the AHL. We have Scott Allen on the show. Scott, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Adam. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, so, and and I do have to kind of start off by saying that uh, uh, one of the ways that I kind of got connected with you was was from a, a close uh, uh, family, a uh, friend of both of ours. Um, I know you're from New Bedford, Massachusetts, which is a place that uh, I've spent uh, uh, quite a bit of time. My best friend in the entire world, Scotty Grant, shout out Scotty Grant. Uh, he's living in New Bedford now. Uh, his side of the family's all in New Bedford. Uh, so I know that we kind of share some, some similar friends. Um, but anyway, just kind of wanted to give them a, a, sh a shout out to the Limas, the Alphonses, and uh, my buddy Scotty Grant. But uh, Scott, I'd really like to thank you because, um, you know, I was just hearing these stories about like, hey, uh, uh, my buddy's into hockey. I'm like, okay, like, who's your buddy? Oh, Scott Allen. Okay, well, what does he do? Oh, uh, he's the head coach of an AHL team. I'm like, can I get him on my podcast? Let's go. Let's make this happen. Uh, so there's a couple people I have to thank. But uh, most of all, I just have to thank you for, for taking the time out. And uh, I know it's the off season but still taking a little bit of time out to uh, sit down and chat with me. So I really appreciate that, Scott. Uh, it's certainly my pleasure. Um, you know, it, it's the off season, but it never changes. And just as you and I were uh, <clears throat> trying to connect on this Skype, I was, I was getting a phone call from uh, a head coach in the National Hockey League uh, who was calling me uh, as a reference for a, uh, a staff member. So oh, there yeah. never is any off season. Um, you know, we're always staying on top of things. Um, you know, American Hockey League free agency was just uh, last weekend. Um, obviously, the NHL free agency is pushed back. Uh, the draft is tomorrow and, and the next couple of days. So there's certainly a lot going on right now in the hockey world as we speak. Well, I'm assuming I'm assuming that you have to kind of keep your phone close by. You're, I'm sure I'm assuming that you don't want to uh, miss some of those calls or texts because things are moving at a at a fast pace. So, yes, even though it's the off season, uh, the wheels are, st are still turning. The machine never stops, does it, Scott? It doesn't stop. It, it, it doesn't stop, especially these last couple of years because of the covid situation and how the season started later. So the end of the season got pushed back. Um you know, we're, we're a week away, basically a week and a half away from hockey wrapping up at the NHL and American Hockey League levels. And like I said, now it's full steam ahead right into the draft, right into free agency. Mm -hmm. um, I'm actually flying down to Washington on Saturday uh, for a week to do development camp with our young players. Uh, and then I will finally hopefully catch a little bit of a, a breather there for a couple <laughs> of weeks before we do it all over again. Well, it, it sounds like you'll probably uh, probably deserve it at that point. But, uh, Scott, I'd like to start off, um, you know, this is an open format podcast. We can talk about whatever we want to whenever we want to talk about it. But um, I kind of want to talk about you. And I usually start off with the same question each episode. Um, and it's kind of how you personally got uh, involved in the game of hockey or at least interested in the game of hockey. I think that's a better way to put it. And this might not be necessarily the first time that you put on skates and uh, went out onto the ice, but uh, obviously being from the state of Massachusetts, hockey is a pretty prevalent sport, but can you kind of go back and can you remember um, how you got uh, uh, interested in the game? A lot of the times it's from uh, either friends or family. Uh, sometimes it's just, uh, it can be a random event, but do you, do you remember uh, what that was? 
I do. And uh, you know what? I'll be honest with you, Adam. Uh, this is just my opinion, but I would say probably 50% of guys who are, are around my age, uh, I was born in 1966, um, got into hockey thanks to one guy, and that guy's Bobby Orr. <laughs> Bobby Orr, when Bobby Orr came to the Boston Bruins, uh, it became a craze. And I truly don't remember him playing. Um, my memories of him uh, uh, watching highlight tapes. And the, the, I don't know if you ever saw the video, the best of Bobby or it's incredible yeah. um, because I was, you know, four years old and six years old when they won the cup in 70 and 72. But what happened was hockey became uh, the sport and what in the state of Massachusetts actually built um, copycat arenas throughout the state so if you if whether you were here whether you're franklin you know there's a couple other places uh the rinks are all the same and they were built uh because of the hockey craze that was going on at the time mm-hmm. i was actually down the street uh i think i was probably seven i had been skating on the outdoor ponds outdoor cranberry bogs uh at, at brooklawn park um my mother was the one who usually brought us skating at a young age um, but I was down the street. I think we were playing wiffle ball at a friend's house. Uh, I must have been seven because it, it, it was my first couple of years of mites. And uh, a kid come running out of the house said, hey, I'm going to be playing ice soccer. And I'm like, what are you talking about, ice soccer? Yeah, my dad just signed me up. Well, then his dad came out and explained that it was obviously ice hockey and not ice soccer. And uh, he said, well, do you want to play? So I ran up the street and asked my parents and you know, they obviously needed a little bit more information. Um, but back then, uh, you could play house league. And, and that's essentially what I played. I never even played travel hockey growing up. Uh, I played at a public high school at New Bedford High, uh, which unfortunately, uh, the size of the school, it doesn't even have a hockey program anymore just because oh. there aren't enough kids that were playing at the time. Um, but I was so fortunate because, um, you know, I started off playing for the town team. And uh, like I said, as time went on, um, you know, some of those friends uh, that I played with throughout uh, are still some of my best friends, uh, including Wayne Lima, who, who <laughs> yeah. got in contact with you. He was my goalie on a house oh, league wow. team. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, we became best of friends and still to this day, uh, just that. So, you know, there's so many guys that I'm, I still keep in touch with by just playing uh, local hockey in the, in the greater New Bedford area. Uh, yeah. And I'm extremely proud of that. Um, you know, it was an awesome experience, uh, you know, great times throughout. Uh, and that's to me, that's what it's supposed to be about, especially at a young age through the youth hockey years. Um, when I run into these guys, we still reminisce about certain situations and certain times we had throughout. And, and again, it wasn't, you know, hopping on a plane and flying to tournaments in Calgary. And I mean, it's, it's crazy now how the sport has become and what it's become. Uh, And and I do get it. I understand it. Um, But, you know, uh, truly thankful for the time that I grew up in and the the guys that I was able to grow up with playing hockey with. Because, again, lifelong friends. I still keep in touch with a, a lot of these guys. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Like I said, my my best friend in the world, Scotty Grant. He's uh, he's Wayne's nephew. He I met him when we were both six years old playing hockey. You know what I mean? And we still we we talk multiple times a week, even though he's up in the New England now, uh, back in the the New Bedford area. Uh, but one of the things I kind of wanted to touch on because um, there are a lot of hockey parents that listen uh, to the show, and if anything, I think talking to people like you kind of gives people an idea of. Um, 
or it gives those parents a little bit better of an idea of kind of um, what what that path looks like, the, their, their hockey path. And, and one thing that you're saying, you know, this is kind of what it's all about. Um, it's hard to remind competitive hockey parents in the moment that it's kind of bigger than you know, um, it, it's just bigger than how far does your kid go in hockey, but to actually enjoy the experiences of, you know, because for every, you know, buddy that you make that you play hockey with, the parents are becoming friends. You know, if you do go to a travel tournament or you're out on the road, they're going to dinner together. They also become, you know, long, you know, lifelong friends. And it really does kind of become uh, more of a family. And I think sometimes when, you know, uh, those parents are too involved in their only their kids' success and not allowing their kids because it's so competitive these days that some of these uh, elite hockey teams like the Dallas Stars elite down here, you know, there, there's times where I'm told that you know this team doesn't get along and they're full of just studs, hockey players, but their parents are almost saying, okay, even though you're on a team with this kid, you know, you're competing against them, and you know, it's almost just one of those like, hey, like let's pump the brakes here, you know, it, 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 being competitive is being competitive, but at the end of the day, you know, growing a team and learning how to be a teammate is just as important, but I've just, I've seen it too many times where it's all about, nope, uh, it's just about being competitive against the people you play with, uh, against, and, you know, it's just, there, there should be time to kind of stop and, and smell the roses every once in a while, and I'm talking about, you know, in, in the, the youth ages, obviously, when you get up into the higher levels of juniors, college pro, um, things can change a little bit um but yeah it's there, there's times where i think parents get a little bit too uh, far ahead of themselves a little bit and they don't enjoy the time that they have there's no doubt about it and 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 again i do understand some of it um, because the thing about hockey with families with parents is it's a huge commitment um because most players start playing at a young age and at that age uh you know there's this commitments and the commitment mm -hmm. isn't just from the player it's full-on commitment from probably everybody in the family even the siblings mm -hmm. and 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 so with that that's a lot of where the competitiveness comes from for me i just like to simplify it to a foundation for every player and every parent first of all the player uh, hopefully has a passion and and truly enjoys playing hockey um, you know, the, the second thing is, uh, and, and you know what, I'm, I'm all on board with parents wanting to do as much as they can for their kids, uh, and, and get them every opportunity that probably they didn't have. But, you know, there was a time where sport was a great way to learn about life, the ups and downs, the trials and tribulations, the good and the bad. Um, nobody goes through life unscathed. Uh, you know, I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how lucky you've been, how fortunate you've been, uh, whether you're blue blood and grown up into a wealthy family or you've made it on your own. Somewhere along the line, you are going to be touched with adversity. And to me, that's what happens with sports. I mean, it, it, it doesn't matter. Somewhere along the line, you will be challenged. And, and how do you meet those challenges? Do you meet them head on? Do you, you know, do they rally so much that you can't get through them, that you can't get by them? Um, one yeah. thing for me where I try to judge uh, when it's all said and done, like I've seen players, you know, and I've talked to parents, well, you know, if he or she just gets a college scholarship, it'll be all worth the while. Well, to me, th th that shouldn't be what it's all about. Again, it should be mm -hmm. about the passion because sometimes what happens is when that young player doesn't get that opportunity or maybe, you know, strives to play D1 and, and 
plays D3, and, and then that's not what they hoped for. And they end up quitting hockey by the mm-hmm. age of 20 and never put the skates on again. I, you know what? Then I question the, the, the process that went through this to get that player to dislike hockey so much. I mean, the thing that's very gratifying to me is, you know, seeing guys who still play that I played with when we were young, you know, yeah. um, guys that are in the 50s still enjoy playing men's league and, and the camaraderie of it and, you know, what it's all about. Um, and, and that's what I strive for. And the other thing, too, that I talk to uh, guys who coach youth hockey Hey, there is, there's enough on the plate for these kids these days. I mean, there's so many challenges and so much stress that goes into their life. And, and some of it comes from that competitive standpoint, whether it's in the classroom, whether it's in sports. Um, you as a coach, you may be the best opportunity that particular day to ch- touch that player in, in an emotional and gratifying way that they can enjoy that 50 minute ice session or that hour mm-hmm. and 20 ice session that you have with them. Like they, they should be looking forward to that. And that should be one of the most fun parts of the day because you don't know, you know, right. what else goes into the rest of the day for, for the, for those players, you know, and, and yeah. so much so that we talk to our pros about that, like a, on a pro level, they have to enjoy it. Once it becomes strictly a business and strictly a job and they don't enjoy it anymore, they don't have the same success that they once had. So I can't stress that enough. It has to be enjoyable uh, for the player first and foremost. And then hopefully the parents can enjoy it as well. Yeah. Well, and I think that's a, that's an awesome point. And what's funny to me, cause you know, multiple things can be true all at the same time. Can you have a super competitive drive and can that be a goal that you're really looking for? Say your goal is to make it to the NHL. Is that a bad thing? Absolutely not. But you can also enjoy playing the game and you can have fun while you're doing it. And I would argue that if you have two players that are just competitive as, as one another and probably close to equally as skilled, the one that is enjoying that time more is going to end up having probably a longer hockey career like you spoke to. But they're probably going to be better players at the end of the day because they know part of its work. I mean, it's not all going to be fun. And there's going to be times, like you said, that they're tested. But like you said, that's what sport is for is to at some point um can kind of test you there and um it's, it's really nice talking to you scott because i can just tell it's like um because i've i've been coaching for a while obviously not um at the at the ranks you are but it's just you you have a great coach uh you just have the voice for it and you have just the the cadence and everything so i can uh i can see why you why you've made it this far but uh i wanted to hop back into kind of your uh playing career here real quick because um I kind of wanted to talk to you about when you knew things were probably progressing and getting a little bit more serious and when you were maybe starting to think about uh, turning uh, pro, because I know for some people that can be um, um, a difficult transition for some, it's a little bit easier, Um, but can you kind of take us from, uh, you know, you're playing in in your local area, but at some point um, you start playing maybe a little bit more competitively, whether or not that's juniors, college, uh, into pro, but uh, can you kind of talk about uh, that transition a little bit? Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting because probably up until probably through my sophomore year of high school, uh, from probably sixth grade till then, um, I was dead set on being a drummer in a rock and roll band is what I wanted to do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when I graduated high school, I was loading up the drums and I was heading to either New York city or the West coast, LA, and going to find yeah. a band and, uh, hit it big. Um, but, 
at some point, uh, the, the, and I still love the drums and I still mm-hmm. love the passion. And there are days where I kick myself and say, I should have went that route, but, <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah. um, at some point I just decided that hockey was truly my passion and what I wanted to try to do. Um, I was realistic in regards to, uh, my potential to play in the national hockey league. Uh, I didn't think I was going to be uh, good enough to play quite frankly, because I, I was again, realistic. Mm-hmm. I wanted to play and get paid to play. And then, uh, I, I, I knew when I was younger, by the time I was 19 years old, I, I knew I wanted to get into coaching when I was done. So probably a little bit unrealistic in regards to the path that I've been able to take. Uh, cause even there, you know, when I decided to forego the college route and play junior hockey and, uh, people said, well, you know, what are you going to do when you're done playing? And I said, well, I'm the coach just as matter of factly as that, yeah. um, never thought, in a million years that, uh, that I would coach in the NHL or even the American hockey league for that matter. Um, I truly thought I'd probably end up back. Uh, I played in the USHL my second year junior in Waterloo, Iowa. And that was probably a realistic goal for me in regards to coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, so trust me when I tell you, I've been extremely fortunate, uh, for the last 26 years, uh, straight, I've coached professional hockey, uh, in the ECHL in the American hockey league and the national hockey league. Um, I don't know how I've been able to, you know, you know, first of all, I, I got into it. I was f- very fortunate. I got a call from a guy who, uh, his name is Toby O'Brien. He had been named the general manager uh, of the Johnstown chiefs. And, uh, he reached out to me and wanted to know if I was interested in a position, uh, with him and Nick Fatio, who was the head coach at the time. And initially I turned it down. Um, I was going to stay playing. I just completed my 10th year of playing. I was actually down in Fort Worth, Texas in the old central hockey league and loved and loved it down there. We, my wife and I were going to stay in Texas. Um, and, uh, it, it changed in a matter of a couple of phone calls, uh, in the middle of April, um, 27 years ago now. Uh, and we were on our way to Johnstown. And again, I've, you know, been able to, hold employment for these last 26 <laughs> years in the, in the coaching ranks. And, uh, I've loved well, every minute of it. And it's you must be, do, you must be doing something right though. You know, you must, uh, you must, must be doing something right there. And, uh, I know I'm not here to, to pump your tires, uh, too much, but, um, when you, when you talk about coaching, cause this is always a kind of a, a question that I have, but when, when you kind of make your first, uh, you know, I'll say, you know, maybe your first ECHL game, uh, does that feel different than your first AHL game? And does that feel a little bit different than your first NHL game? I mean, is, are, are there levels to this or do you kind of uh, approach each team, you know, kind of the same? Because, you know, skill wise, a professional hockey player is just going to be a really, really good hockey player. But um, is there a difference in between maybe your approach or um, what's, what's kind of, what's kind of the difference in, in how you feel about each one of those, uh, those levels. Cause I, I don't personally know anybody that's been involved in each one. You know, first and foremost, I've had to continue to, to challenge myself to continue to grow as a coach throughout the years, because what you could do as a coach 26 years ago, um, it doesn't work anymore. You know, back when I was playing and, uh, you just did things because the coach, told you to do them mm-hmm. well now these kids grow up in the information era uh they're all on the internet they all watch youtube they're way more advanced than we were back in the day just in regards to the 
techniques and the tactics of the game, uh, nutrition, working out. Um, there's so much more that goes into play uh, than, you know, was back in, in, in those days for these athletes. So mm-hmm. you have to find another way. Now, the difference for me, the best way for me to explain it to you is in the ECHL, you have maybe three to five NHL contracts, if you're lucky, usually a couple. Uh, and those NHL contracts are guaranteed. Most of you, the other guys who are on contracts, ECHL contracts are not guaranteed contracts. Mm-hmm. They're essentially 24-hour contracts. So if it's not working for a player and you can't trade them, you can get rid of them that day. You don't have to pay them anymore. You bring another guy in to, to fill his shoes. So, yeah. you know, if you make mistakes recruiting or you get a bad apple or two, you can get rid of them very easy. Now when you move on to the American Hockey League, um, just about all your players are on National Hockey League contracts. Most of them are on two-way contracts, which means they make a certain amount with if they're playing in the American League and obviously a, another amount if they're playing in the National Hockey League. Um, the thing that you have on them is, is what they need to, to get to the National Hockey League is ice time. You can control mm-hmm. their ice time you know, if they're not playing. Now when you get to the National Hockey League and you've got bona fide superstars that the owner is paying eight, nine, some guys, $10 million. Um, you cannot just bench a guy if they're mm-hmm. not playing well, because when it's all said and done, you know what, say there's 20,000 people in the building uh, and I'll just use, you know, Alexander Ovechkin as, as an example. There's probably 10,000 of those people that have the number eight on the back of their jersey that they bought. They're coming to see him play. They're coming to watch him play. Mm-hmm. So to if, if, if something's not going right with your relationship with that player and he's not playing up to his standard, to sit him on the bench is very unrealistic because now you have to answer the people. You have to answer the yeah. owners uh, all the way down. So they think maybe I've got the right. So you have to find other ways uh, to, to motivate. Right. And therein lies the challenge, you know, what motivates a guy that's making $8 million that's already won a Stanley cup. Um, you know what, there's a reason why a lot of the guys are the best in the world because they strive to do that every day. And Sidney Crosby's another great example. And, you know, Alex Ovechkin is obviously chasing the goals, uh, record right now. Um, so he's got internal motivation without a doubt, but there are some guys without a doubt that, Aren't that motivated that is still so therein lies the challenge right from each level is a different way you have to find ways to build relationships to get to players to to get them to understand um you know what the needs and wants are from your side and how it can benefit them um both yeah. individually and collectively as a team i mean that's a, the big thing it comes down to winning the national hockey league even though you know there are some teams who know they're not going to win the stanley cup right now and the Arizona Coyotes are a prime example. I mean, they're in a complete rebuild, so they don't expect uh, to win. So I give that coach there a ton of credit for what he even did the, you know, mm-hmm. this past season with the plays that he had, but uh, you know, I know it's a little bit drawn out Adam, but that's, you have to develop relationships with plays. And, and to me, that's what coaching is anyway, at all levels. Um, yeah. Even uh, kids, the kids are all different, right? What motivates one kid may not necessarily motivate another kid. Right. Well, what's kind of interesting to me, because I've always had this idea, but I didn't, you know, there was no way for me to prove this, but it would just kind of make sense to me that once you get up into the NHL, there has to be, and I don't know how big this percentage is, there has to be people that are just so skilled that that I'm not saying that they're not trying, but 
they found something that's going to pay them, you know, like you said, upwards of $10 million. I'm thinking of a couple people that are making eight right now, and this is who I'm referring to. But there's just some people, it's like, he's going to make his money regardless. Like, if he doesn't care about winning, he's going to go out. He's trying to at least, you know, um, go through the motions at this point. But there has to be at least a small percentage of NHLers that are there just because they're so skilled. And then you have probably on the other uh, end of the spectrum, you have probably top end guys in the AHL that are just chomping at the bit, very skilled. But that just kind of shows you, you know, the difference in between, you know, um, super skilled players and the things that they're able to get away with, you know. But, but I'm sure as coaches, because we don't see it from, from this side of it, but I'm sure as coaches, you guys have to kind of see that in the NHL as far as, okay, like this guy's here and he's producing and he's doing the things that we ask, but does he really care about winning? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. 100%. There are those guys. There are those guys in the league. There's, <clears throat> there's no, make no mistake about it. Um, you know, there are some guys who, who care more about points uh, necessarily than, the outcome at the end of the night, but mm -hmm. you have to understand, you know what, those points will play into you winning or losing as well. Right. right. So you're not going to change everybody's thought process. You can't, it's impossible. If you think as a coach that you can get all 20 guys on board and say, you know, winning is the end all be all. And, and that's it. By none. You're kidding yourself because what you have to understand is these this is their job. This is the way they make their living. And the thing about a professional athlete is they only have so much time. That window only stays open for so long. Um, you know what? I'm 56 years old. If I decided today that I wanted to become a lawyer, I could, I could still become a lawyer and it would take a lot of hard work and a, probably a lot of frustration, but I can do it. I can't, make that decision today that I'm going to go be a professional hockey player again or football or anything like that. Cause that window has closed. I mean, right. science, you know, says, you know what, once your body hits a certain age, you know, mm -hmm. you cannot do it any longer. So within that window of opportunity, there's their, uh, there's their chance to, uh, quite frankly, make as much money as they can yeah. as an individual, right? Cause some guys can retire and never have to work another day in their life. Some guys who, you know, maybe made the league minimum, uh, still made a great living and, and can pick and choose what they want to do for their next job and the next stage of life. Um, so it's, it's different things like that. Hey, some guys are only going to play, uh, 200 games a league. Some guys will play 150 games a league, but they want to maximize their potential. And that, and that truly is my job as an American Hockey League coach. My job is to maximize each individual, squeeze every ounce of juice I can out of every guy and hope that it's good enough for that guy to get to the NHL. At the end of the day, it's not. Not every guy's going to play in the NHL. It's the best right. league in the world. Uh, you know, 600 uh, and something players uh, at any given time playing in the league of 30, you know, 32 teams. Um, and guys who are there, they don't want to give up their job that easily. You know, no. it's a great way of life. You're flying on private charters. You're staying in good hotels. You're eating great food. Um you know, as opposed to maybe riding some buses and things of that nature. And trust me, I love my job and, and everything that goes along with it. But guys in the NHL, they're going to hold on to the job. So therein lies the challenge uh, to try to maximize each guy's potential and, and hope that it's good enough at some point to whether, again, it's five games, 10 games, five mm -hmm. seasons, you know, Hall of Famers. Um, you know, I've been very fortunate through the years to, to, to coach different guys. Uh, Mark Giordano is the first guy to come to mind. Wasn't even a drafted player. 
Really? Uh, undrafted free agent signing out of the Ontario Hockey League. I didn't know uh, that. Yeah, and he's still he, playing. He turned out okay, I think. <laughs> he did. He, he turned out very well. Yeah, he's had an unbelievable career, and he's still a un, he's a great human, first and foremost. So, you know, I root for guys like that all the way through. Yeah. Hey, and, and I'm sorry, but you're going to have to remind me. So uh, uh, Hershey Bears, they are the, the farm team for uh, which NHL team? Washington Capitals. The Washington Capitals. So next question I kind of had for you, because while I have you here and I, I want to get all this information out of you, um, how often or I mean, are guys guys are getting sent down and sent up and sent down and sent up? Do you ever have issues with players? Uh, do they get frustrated by having this happen or is there... Uh, are they kind of professional enough to understand why it's happening or, or, or how does that, how does that work as far as just the psyche um, of these players kind of going up and down? I just don't know um, how they take that or, or if they, they might not take any offense to it. I'm, I'm not quite sure. Yeah, it's a great question, Adam. Um, you know, for the, probably the 10 previous seasons, uh, the Washington Capitals didn't have a ton of injuries up top. They were very blessed. They were very fortunate. Um, you know, you look at Ovi, who I talked about before. One of the reasons he's got a great chance to br break the goal record is he hasn't had, uh, he hasn't missed much hockey throughout his career. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's been healthier. And as that group has been, um, it changed a lot this year. Um, few things, you know, you had the COVID to deal with. You had injuries with guys like Nick Backstrom and TJ Oshie. Um, even Alex Ovechkin had some injuries this year. Mm -hmm. So we had more movement this year uh, between the two teams than they've had in the previous 10 years. I think we had 13 or 14 players play up top. We had eight guys score their first goal in the National Hockey League this year, um, which is is incredible. Um, so now to answer your question, do guys get – yeah, they do because – they want to be the guy that gets called up. They want mm -hmm. that opportunity. Um, it doesn't just happen if guys aren't getting injured usually because um, you have the salary caps to deal with. You know, when they when they build teams, they slot guys into certain situations in certain areas. And like I talked about before, there are some guys who are making one-way money, which means they make the same whether they in the NHL, the American Hockey League. Mm -hmm. um, so, so many things factor into it. Um, but it becomes when those opportunities do come now, especially if a guy went up and played, you know, say he played five games, he got sent back because the guy who was hurt came back and now he's playing for us and they get another injury and they call somebody else up. And that guy sometimes thinks, well, why is it him? And they, they usually generally happy for their teammates. Yeah. Um, but make no mistake about it. They want it to be them as well because that's the that's what they're striving for that's the end game that's the goal to to get to the national hockey league first and foremost yeah and then hopefully stay in the national hockey league uh for a long time so you you do have those challenges and uh again it's that's that's all part of coaching too right it's not <laughs> just about the x's and o's the x's and o's is the easy part of the game yeah. it's the challenge of um uh, again putting guys in the right uh, frame of mind that they can come each day and perform be it practice or game and be the best they can be because that's the only way they're giving themselves the opportunity to get back to where they want to be in the nhl so and everybody handles things differently and everybody reacts differently and that's why we talked earlier about the adversities in life right and what youth mm -hmm. sports teach and and um 
So now I have those challenges that, uh, and again, some handle it like a well-groomed professional. And I've had guys through the years that have handled it like a, uh, a 12 year old who didn't get his way. <laughs> yeah. It's just, yeah. just, you know, that's, that's what we deal with. And, uh, that's, that's life. Well, you know, cause at the, at the end of the day, I mean, you're not teaching these guys how to take a wrist shot or take a slap shot or pass or, you know, these, these are some of the best players in the whole world. So it just seems like it just being super important that they, that you're somebody that they can respect and communicate with. And, you know, cause, cause at the end of the day, yes, you're, you're doing certain systems, which will uh, affect the team in various ways, which I do want to get into here in a moment. But uh, at the end of the day, you have a bunch of really, really good hockey players that are, all very, very skilled, you know, in, in, in their own ways, but you're just trying to figure out how to, like you said, or you already said this, you're trying to squeeze the most out of them. You're trying to get the most out of them, which it really makes it, it makes a lot of sense. Cause you know, I'm, I'm assuming some of those guys, even though they're a little bit older at this point, they, they haven't reached their full potential, it, you know, it, cause they're, they're still kind of growing a little bit. Uh, and do you see that at all? As far as there are certain players that, you know, could max out at a, a you know, much, much higher uh, uh, place. If, if that makes sense. Yeah, there's no doubt. And then you have overachievers as well, guys who maybe weren't quite as good, uh, but they worked their way through it and, and found their niche and uh, got the opportunity and made the most of, of their opportunity. But one thing I will say, um, you know, you mentioned about teaching, skating, uh, passing, shooting. You know what? Usually some of them are lacking something in their game that isn't quite good enough. Uh, so we still have to work on guys. And I'll give you a perfect example. I had a player. Uh, he was a first round draft pick. Okay. He played for the U S development program when he was a first rounder. Then he went to the university of Michigan and he played there for four years, uh, turned pro. And, um, you know, I was watching him probably a week into the season and our practices in the American hockey league. And every time the early shooting drills, he would never come down. Everything was over the blue line wrist shot over the blue line wrist shot. And I finally said, Hey, you know, don't be afraid to take a couple of slap shots here. And he said, I can't, I said, what are you talking about? He said, I can't take a slap shot when I'm in motion coming down the wing. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about a first round draft pick that played for the U S development program and the university of Michigan, two very strong, highly touted programs. Um, so again, you can't take anything for granted. So guess what we worked on for the next month? One After time practice, in motion, coming coming down coming down the wing with a puck and, and taking a slap shot while in motion. You know, and yeah. he ended up getting to the National Hockey League. I think he played four or five hundred games. The NHL had a good career, um, but you can't take anything for granted. You can't just assume uh, that they've already been taught something, or that you can't assume that they can't get better at mm -hmm. something here's an interesting thing i found with plays and it doesn't matter what level nhl american league players want to spend time after practice working on things that they're already good at they don't really want to spend time at yeah. you know so, some guys can shoot the puck they have bombs guess what they work on shooting well <laughs> you, you know and i try to explain to them it's it's not your shot that's keeping you out of the national hockey league it's your it's your feet so yeah. let's work you know um mm -hmm. but there's a pride factor that plays into it. They, they don't want to be embarrassed by falling, by looking bad, by looking awkward. Um, yep. But that's, that's our job to, to identify what the weakness is. We want to continue to work on the strengths, but we want to have to put, we want to put way more time into what the weakness is to hopefully get it up to par to get them that, again, that opportunity to be the best they can be. 
Yeah, um, and, and it's funny you kind of bring this up. I had a, a previous guest on. His name's Luke Chilcott. Um, he he started off as a figure skater, and I guess was a very uh, competitive figure skater. Uh, but he ended up becoming um, he he was the skating coach for the San Jose Sharks for quite some time, and he still he works with the Dallas Stars down here now. But he a lot he had a lot of interesting things to say about that though, because he he would do uh, lessons with Jamie Ben, and you know obviously he's worked with the the top pros. But a lot of those guys, like you. Said, said they just it's almost like they didn't want to commit to doing anything that they thought would make them look bad and it's almost like he said that when he got them one-on-one that really changed you know if it was just if it was just the two of them out on the ice it was a much different and there's something to that because men have their pride and especially you know hockey players and you know, nobody wants to look weak and all this but it, it made sense to me how he got a lot more out of just the one-on-one time as opposed to trying to do things with with the whole group yeah no doubt about it. i've had uh, guys at the nhl uh nino nita comes to mind and Ilya labushkin uh defenseman and those two guys uh when nino broke in i was with the islanders and his wall play was not good he was big he could skate Okay, probably not, mm-hmm. but he, and he could shoot the puck. Uh, that was his strength. And, and, you know, he used to get frustrated with me and he said, you know, why are we doing that? I said, because we, when you're on the ice, we can't get the puck out of our zone when it comes around <laughs> the wall. That's why we're working yeah. on this. So I know you can shoot down that end of the ice, but we have to get out of this end. And yeah. uh, when I ran into him a few years ago, uh, you know, he comes up, gives me a big hug and we reminisce and he says, remember all that wall work we used to do? And he, he laughs about it now and he knows, yeah. you know, the benefit of it. And, you know, Ilya, Ilya Labushkin was the same way when he came to Arizona a few years ago. Um, his footwork wasn't up to par. He was big. He was strong. He was physical. He could finish guys, especially along the walls. But in open ice, his footwork would get him into trouble. And, uh, you know, he, he'd say, you know, why we work on this, Scotty? And, mm-hmm. you know, I explained to him. And, and uh, again, I ran into him this year uh, he, when he got traded to Toronto. And, and we had a good laugh and, and talk about it. But uh, it's just all about improving their uh, overall game and getting them, uh, again, every opportunity. Because, like I mentioned earlier, you know, the longer a guy sticks around, the better he plays, the, the, the more he contributes to his team successes. Um, the better off it's going to be for that guy individually as well. So as long as they know you have their best interest at heart, like it's not about me. It's nothing, you know, it's, it's all about the player. It's, it's all about me having the ability to identify what works and what doesn't for that particular guy. And that's the other thing too, what works for one may not necessarily work for another, right? They are individuals and how they play and you've seen Mm -hmm. how the games change. And now you got, you've got five, 10 defensemen now uh, playing in the national hockey league and playing very well. And so it's the trend has changed where you got teams drafting a lot of smaller D, but you know, to to think you can train a a five, 10 defenseman to play like Zdeno Chara, you know, right. it's the two different individuals, right? You, you have to find out what works for one as opposed to the other. Well, it's almost like, and I, I've told people this before, and sometimes they, they know what I'm talking about. Sometimes they don't. You might fall in either category, but it, there's a hundred, if not a thousand different types of hockey players. We all wear the same equipment. There's a few different positions, but at the end of the day, the skill set of each player, depending on what you need to have happen, is just everybody is so different and, and, and their capabilities. And there's some guys that you see that are just so elite in some areas and in other areas they're lacking. And it's just, 
it's just it, it's kind of funny how how it works out that way because I feel like every hockey player is going to have his strengths and weaknesses. But um, as far as strengths, and I know you were talking about footwork though. I'm seeing a trend and I'm assuming that you're seeing this too, where the requirement is almost that they need to be better skaters maybe than they needed to be even 10, 15 years ago. Do you, do you see that kind of being a trend where, where, you know, players are, the younger kids are starting to focus a little bit more on their skating. I mean, when you're seeing players like Kale McCarr and what he's able to do just by being a, a great skater, like he is. And when you talk about these smaller defensemen, most of them are very, very good skaters. But do you see that trend? And if you do see that trend, um, are there players that are maybe a little bit more open to to working on that skill? Yeah, there is no doubt about it. I mean, skating is such a big component as far as the foundation of a hockey player. Um, but, you know, I caution everybody as well. You know, Connor McDavid, he and Cal McCoy, I mean, these guys are such elite, elite players. And you've got great skill coaches all over not only North America, but the world who worked with players um, from a young age all the way through, and they still can't mimic what those guys can do. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's how impressive those guys happen to be. But for me personally, uh, I'll give you three things. Um, if you give me a guy who can skate and you give me a guy who's got hockey sense and you get, you give me a guy who's got work ethic, I think we can fill in the blanks with a lot of the other things and hopefully find that player's niche where that player can have a pretty good career, um, NHL, uh, elite American league, or even overseas. Um, because those to me, there's your foundation uh, mm -hmm. of a player, right? Um, yeah. everything else can be worked on, but skating is such a big, uh, part of it. Um, being able yeah. to think the game and, and you can teach hockey sense, uh, to a certain degree, not yep. every guy is going to get it because you know, the, the, the other thing too, is I've seen guys who have unreal skills, who can skate, who can handle the puck, who can shoot. And you see them in practice doing drills and skill work. And you're thinking, Oh my, this guy is special. And then you get him, and you might watch him three games and you have to go back and watch the games to find him because yep. they just don't think the game well enough to put themselves in position to utilize the skills that they show in those drill and, and skill work that you do with them. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the biggest component that's missing there. And yeah. that's a tough one to, to I, try to make up. And and I've almost called them because I, I think that we're talking about the same player here, but I used to call them like warm-up players because every once in a while you kind of look over at the other side while the other team's warming up and you're like, man, that guy looks good. Look at that little crossover and look at that little whatever. And then the game, it's like, where did that guy play? Where did he go? What, like, where, you know, it's just, it's one of those things where it's difference between like looking, you know, smooth and, and sly and all these things. And then you eventually have to play the game, but uh, my father, um, he's played hockey. He's from Minnesota, which is the other state of hockey. I'm not quite sure what's called state of hockey. They claim it's Minnesota. There's others that claim it's Massachusetts, but he calls them uh, pond hockey players, like really like players with really, really good IQ and really good sense and creativity. He goes, you know, that that happened a lot more when kids were playing pond hockey. And now it's like, I feel like all the training's kind of set up to where it's like, go around this cone and do the transition into snapshot, you know, and it's one of those things to where they know exactly where to make those moves at what time to make them because it's just, there's things that are set up in front of them that they're going through and around, but those things aren't moving. You know what I mean? It's, it's, there's not a lot of creativity there, but I think a lot of kids just, 
And I know it's difficult because ice time, especially down in, in Texas, is, is difficult to come across. But they just need to go out and play against each other, pond hockey style, more often. And that's where that creativity and that IQ, like, I can I can tell you if I, and I'm just calling calling them a pond hockey player, whether or not, you know, that, that was kind of what they did. But you can tell those kids that just got creative by playing. And it doesn't even have to be a small area game, but that you can tell that they've just, they've played like the game a lot, whether or not that's a regulation game with referees and score or whatever, or if it's just them playing against their buddies, you can kind of tell those kids that are a little bit more creative because of, of you know, them kind of playing that pond hockey uh, style, you know? Yeah. And I, you know what, it's funny because I've always likened it to, when I was younger, I used to box and you've had guys that were in the gym and they were unbelievable on the bags, be it the speed bag, the heavy bag, uh, the double end bag, um, the ha- even the hand pads. Problem is the bags don't hit back. So the minute right, that yeah. guy got in and got in the ring and did some sparring and maybe got blinky eyed or you know couldn't, it, it was complete night and day difference. They looked phenomenal, like world beaters when they were just hitting the bag. But when somebody was actually putting some resistance and actually hitting back. Um, therein lies the challenge. So it's no different than those guys you're talking about who do all those things around the cone, who can cut here, who can hard stop here, shift their weight, catch it inside edge, bring the puck to the net low. But now the minute you put some resistance out there and a challenge out there and somebody who's trying to stop them from mm-hmm. being able to do all those things prior to getting to the net to drive the net, therein lies the challenge. And, and not every guy is capable of, of pushing through in those situations. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, cause I, I give, I give private lessons down here too, but and there are certainly drills where I have to use cones for it and we'll use those cones. But one of the things I'm trying to get through to my players is that you have to imagine that this cone is a person and that they are, you're going to be a little bit off balance when you're going around this cone, because it's really going to be a person. And even if he misses you a little bit or whatever, he's going to clip you. He's going to at least put a body on you. It's not going to be this clean you know, turn inside, outside, like it's not going to be that clean. So it's one of those things I understand sometimes you have to have it, but you know, it's just more pond hockey and more players just playing against each other. And I I know that the videos online, they look good when the kids are going through the things and doing jumping over stuff, even though I can't remember the last time I jumped over anybody and playing hockey, but it looks cool on the videos. So, you know, it's uh, always the way it goes. Um, So I I did have kind of one more thing I wanted to talk to you about. And then uh, we'll kind of close it down here in a little bit. But um, so one of the things that I did read about you and I I try and learn as much as I can from coaches that are, you know, obviously way better than me, but um, that you're you're somewhat of a a penalty kill uh, specialist in a way. Is that fair for me to say? Um, you know what? I, I, yeah, I was fortunate to have, uh, some pretty good success, especially in my last two stops in the national league with Florida and the Arizona coyotes, uh, with penalty kill. Um, so I don't necessarily refer to myself as a specialist, (laughs) but, but, uh, I do get a lot of calls from, from other coaches at all levels, national hockey league, uh, American league, college coaches, um, asking questions about penalty kill for sure. Well, well, here's me. I'm, I'm asking the questions now. What is it? What is it that people are not doing that they should? I've always, and I know that this can get risky. I've always enjoyed a more aggressive penalty kill, and I, I think that it's not utilized often enough. And granted, it also depends on the team that you're playing against. But I always love it when I see a little bit more of an aggressive penalty kill. But uh, what is what what is it that you're maybe looking for? And you don't have to divulge any of your secrets, but I'm just trying to learn. No, I'll, I'll give it to you straight up. I am 100% an aggressive penalty killer. 
Um, but it has to have a purpose and you have to have structure in place and guys have to know what their responsibilities are going to be. Um, not only the guy that's pursuing, but uh, the guys who are off the puck. And I think one of the biggest things is you as a coach have to have belief into what you're teaching. Um, you know, I've had guys that have called me in the past and, and uh, you know, I've watched some video of some of my kills uh, and then came back and questioned what I did. And I said, well, there you have it right there. If you're questioning, if you don't believe in the method, the method that you're teaching, that you, you, there's no way the players are going to believe in it. You have to have a strong conviction. You have to be able to sell and promote it to the players. Um, and then you hope that they have success with it. Because once they start having success, they will buy into whatever you're trying to teach. And, um, you know, again, I've been fortunate to coach some elite players who have won Stanley Cups. And uh, when you get those guys on board and, you know, there's, there's no questions at the end of a meeting, uh, you know you've caught their attention. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, the, the, the basic foundation of my penalty kill is without a doubt being aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just running. It has to be with a purpose because when you're talking about being aggressive at the National Hockey League level, you're talking about the guys who are on the power play – in the NHL, I call them the top five percenters. They're usually the top five percenters in the league at, at what they do. Yeah. That's why they're on the power play in the National Hockey League. So now you're trying to shut down essentially the top five percent players uh, at any given night in, in the world. And there's some dangerous, scary power plays out there at that level. So you mm-hmm. better be dialed in. You better be focused. You better have your guys on board. Um, and at, at each level, um, and, and you know, it's funny because years ago, when I was running the penalty kill in the American Hockey League and before I even got to the NHL, uh, the general manager that I was working for, I'm talking about National Hockey League general manager, because throughout this, like right now, I work for the Washington Capitals. That's who my contract mm-hmm. is with. So uh, the GM would come down and he loved what we were doing on the penalty kill. So he actually had me present it to his NHL coaches the following year in training camp. Uh, and the head coach at the time, who was a friend of mine, who I have a ton of respect for, who was a Stanley Cup winning coach, he said, Scotty, this is the American League. And I, and I said, yeah, I know. He said, this is, you know, this is not going to work in the National League. I said, understand and realize I'm not saying my American Hockey League players against your National Hockey League players are going to get it done. But I'm talking about your National Hockey League penalty killers playing against. And I think it will work. He didn't. And that, that's fine. Like, cause like I said earlier, if you don't believe in what you, and, and they didn't exactly. use it. So I was fortunate when I did finally get my opportunity to get to the league. And uh, again, it, having it work out like it did. Um, it was truly, uh, I, and I credit, trust me, I credit it to the players that were playing for us at the time. They, they were the guys who went out and, and did it done. And I'm sorry, and got it done. I was, you know, the guy giving them a plan each and every night. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in regards to who we're playing, because different power plays attack from different spots and different guys and different strengths. And so you, you have to try to deny what the biggest strength is first and foremost. So there was changes every night, not in our foundation, not in our structure, but how, you know, we were going to look at them and, and where it may come from. Um, so, again, there's a lot of credit to the players.
Well, this this will be my last question, and then we have a little something at the end. But this is my last question because I've had this. Uh, it's like a good conversation starter, and it's always good to get people's idea on this. But if you if if you look at uh, Washington's power play for the most part, you know where to find number eight. He doesn't really need to move around a whole lot. You kind of know where to find him. You also here's the thing. Do you do you leave him not leave him alone, but do you cover him knowing he's a a, a great scoring? Uh, he has a great scoring opportunity pretty much any time that he receives that puck, uh, especially if he's receiving it from the right side of the ice. Or do you just leave him alone because he's not really moving around very much? What's the what's the play there? I don't know what to do because he he he's just he's just going to stand there. But if he gets the puck, you know what what do you do? How how would you try and defend your own team? I guess is what I'm saying. Are you, so allowed, are you allowed to are you allowed to say that? Yeah, uh, different teams have attacked it different ways. There have been guys who just put a guy on Ovechkin and said, yep. "We're not going to let you shoot." Um, my problem with that is you got John Carlson up top, you got T.J. Oshie in the bumper, you've got uh, Mick Backstrom on the other half wall, and you've got Kuznetsov uh, low post. <laughs> so those are four guys that can crush you as well. And I'll tell you exactly what we did, uh, especially last couple of times we played him when I was in Arizona. Um, we, we, we did not just stand and cover Ovechkin. We converged to the other guys. Um, when Ovi got the puck, I knew we were going to have guys who were going to have to make sacrifices and eat some pucks. So the mm-hmm. two guys who come to mind, uh, Nick Jalmerson and Kevin Connaughton, who were playing for us at the time, um, you know, Alex Goligoski, these guys were willing to get in motion when he was, that puck was sent from out high from John Carlson down to Ovi on the dot. And we knew the one time was going to come and they did an unreal job of getting in the shot lane and blocking shots. And when you know that puck is coming off Ovechkin stick and the velocity that's coming at, that takes a tremendous amount of courage. It's easy to block a shot when you're right there, when you're within five feet of where that puck's yeah. coming, when you're, when you're beginning 20 yards off that 25 yards and you have to get in motion and you're going to meet that puck somewhere in between, uh, yeah. the puck has a chance to pick up a little more steam. And, and those guys did an unreal job. And we were able to uh, fortunately shut that power play down um, when we played them in my last few stops. Uh, and it makes a huge difference. Um, but that's just, again, that was just me personally. I, I didn't believe, nor do I believe in having just one guy go stand over by him. Because like I said, now you got a four on three going on with four very, very highly skilled players. But, it, but yeah, I mean, and it's almost really smart. And I'm, I'm assuming it's done obviously intentionally by Washington, but it's really smart because now, yeah, you're just creating a four on three at that point. So now you have even more space to, to kind of work your power play. Um, but it's just, it's one of those things. It's always kind of a fun uh, thought experiment of what you could do. Cause it makes sense on both sides of it, you know, but I think you have a good point about, yeah, you take him out, but then you have four other studs that, you know, now all of a sudden have more, you know, uh, more time and space on the ice, but uh, all right. Well, I felt like, uh, I felt like I learned a little bit today. I uh, really appreciate it. Uh, here's the last thing we have to do. And I know there's been no rules uh, yet in the podcast, but this is the only section that has rules. Um, so this is called the shout out. Um, so you have to shout out and it doesn't, you don't have to be, you don't have to yell this, but uh, essentially you just have to say something positive. Uh, it could be friends and family. It could be um, a coaching thought or a mantra, um, pretty much anything that's positive, but those are the rules of the shout out. Um, do you understand the rules and are you prepared? 
Um, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, let's give it a shot. My shout out goes to my family and my friends who are my driving force. They've been my foundation all the way through. It's impossible for me to sit here and name every one of them. Uh, they know who they are. They know I have a lot of love and respect and care for all of them. Uh, and again, it's been my driving force. Well, hey, I think that's a great shout out. And if you could give me a minute, I have to do this too, so you're not alone on this. But um, uh, my shout out is going to be for uh, just continuing and, and pushing through, whether or not that's in a, a career or, or a sport or, or whatever it is that, that you're trying to do. Because um, sometimes when you push through, really, really good things can happen. Um, I think that there's been maybe a, a few times, um, no, no time recently, but there's been a few times that I was like, man, the, the podcast is, it can kind of be some work and, you know, maybe there's times where I don't really, you know, I didn't feel like doing it. I feel like it was, it was just kind of, I was too busy, didn't have enough time to do it. But then when you push through, things sometimes can get a, a little bit easier. And had I not pushed through, I wouldn't have uh, been able to have our, our guest on here today because, uh, Scott, uh, this won't be a lie to anybody, but you're probably, you know, one of the biggest guests um, I've had on the show. And you hopping on here and being open to it was just, um, it was just really, really awesome. And I think that this is one of those little milestones in the whole podcast that I'll be able to look back. And I've had some great guests on here before, uh, plenty of uh, ex-pros and everything. But this is one of those to where I feel like, okay, like this has given me enough energy to continue to push through. And and this is something I really enjoy doing, Scott. So, you know, if, obviously if I didn't like doing it, I just wouldn't do it anymore. But just like anything else that, that you love, um, there are just times where you have to find time to do it and, and make it work. But uh, anyway, Scott, I, I like I said, I, I think I've thanked you uh, a hundred times, but I don't think that's enough, but I just really appreciate you uh, giving me a chance to talk to you and it's been really enlightening and uh, I really just uh, appreciate you. It's been my pleasure and I've thoroughly enjoyed it, enjoyed it and thank you very much for having me. All right. Well, hey, uh, you have to hold on one more second because I have to tell everybody how to get a hold of us. Uh, you can find us on faceoffspotpodcast.com. I'll say that one more time. It's faceoffspotpodcast.com. Uh, you can find us on iTunes or Spotify. Uh, we have a Facebook. Uh, we have an Instagram. Uh, we have all those things. But uh, either way, um, we have episodes coming out every Thursday, so make sure to check us out. And uh, one more time, I'll do it one more time. Uh, Scott, Scott Allen, uh, thank you so much for coming on. It was a, a great episode. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Scott. Thank you.